This week's episode is brought to you by the Talk Buster podcast. Every episode, Chris Chipman and a guest reminisce of their time working for Blockbuster. Now, even if you've never worked for a Blockbuster, I guarantee you'll find the stories both hilarious and relatable. One of my personal favorite stories was when he had a guest retelling his time of working at a porn shop the day before Christmas when they were just packed to the gills. So, listen to the Talk Buster podcast on all your favorite platforms today. and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Orc, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today? Uh, let's see, we're recording this on a Friday, which is not normal for us, but it means that of course I have the whole weekend feeling, emotion, all that stuff. Um, also watching my mom's dog for uh, you know a day or so just to get him out of the house. Uh, he's, he's old and not that well, so you know, just spend some time with the dog. And uh, always good to do when you when when a dog an animal is getting up there. Exactly. I should probably introduce myself as well. I am their illustrious guest, uh, Kevin Vay, also known as Golden Tails Geek on YouTube. I'm a let's player of sorts, but that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to discuss Doctor Who. So yay. Yes, but before we get into Doctor Who, we've got a thing that Ulrich is contractually obligated to do. Well, go yes. on then. We're changing things up. We're on, we're on break, right? That's what we're doing. Anyways, uh, before we begin, we're going to do the same thing we always do. Thank our patrons for their ongoing support. They are Pam Galley, Marky, Chris Chippen, River Galley, Krug, Reed D, Stephen, and Arthur Crane. Now, if you'd like to join that illustrious legion and get on some of the sweet, sweet benefits we have, just head on over to patreon.com slash geeks with shields. It only costs you 25 cents an episode, and it goes a long way towards helping us with this podcast. Now, as you may have noticed, we have a guest this week, and... As he said, we're going to talk Doctor Who. But before well, we get into all that... Before, before you go into that, even, I want to say real quick um, that the... You know what? I just realized as I'm going that I think you were going to go off on a whole nother thing. So I was going to explain the concept of Pillars of Geekdom. Where were you going? Exactly uh -oh. that. Okay, so here's the thing. A while back, um, I have this concept I brought up. Um, mm -hmm. I call it foundational fandom, where generally speaking, anyone who... Any person has a set of two to four things that are the foundations that the house of their fandoms is built upon. They usually get into you when you're very young, like, you know, yeah. four to eight or something like that. And you can trace, like, lineage, the things you're into, back to one of those fandoms. So that's why we asked our guests what a foundational fandom of his or a pillar of geekdom. Either way, same concept. And that brought us to Doctor Who. Well, yeah, I, mean, doc, I mean, Doctor Who wasn't really a foundational fandom of mine. I got into it kind of late in the game, so to speak. But, um, but, uh, but I, but, but definitely, I will say that one of my big foundational fandoms was Ghostbusters because when I was four years old, I just I watched that. When I, particularly in preschool, I'd watch that like every day for when I got home from school and eating my lunch and just was would obsess over it. <laughs> well, I'm sure I, the idea of science. Uh, overcoming superstition and spirituality, which is a big part of what is going on at Ghostbusters that's awesome, is uh, certainly tied into something like Doctor Who, where everything is won by well, you know, A little bit in Russell T. Davies' era, definitely, and a showrunner. He he was very, he was had a kind of bit of a, and I don't say this as a slight against the man, but a very kind of atheist streak in his stuff, where anything that was religious or mystical or stuff, he tried to do, basically do in The Wizard and provide a much more rational scientific explanation for it, like, like 
like for example in the Shakespeare Code episode from David Tennant's run, you know, there's the alien the aliens of the week were basically witches, but you know, but and they would do like all kinds of weird voodoo stuff as well. And basically like the voodoo doll or something like that would basically be what the doctor termed a DNA DNA replication module. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, it was so... kind of weird. It's still one of my favorite episodes, but still. still. Yeah. So anyway, the point of all this, though, is to bring up that um, we use this, like, metaphor of construction to, uh, so, like, this episode, this format, which we're calling Pillars of Geekdom going forward, comes from the foundational fandoms idea, but there are different concepts. So Pillars of Geek, it's like, again, if foundation is what's going on, you know, at the base, like I said, it's young, Pillars of Geekdom would be, like, what's holding up your you know your roof it's the things that you see it's probably what you're into right now yeah like anyway it's the kind of it's like the strongest things you're into right now i'd say it's holding up the house so <laughs> makes sense yeah so okay. starting from the beginning and we're gonna this is test format for this show going forward congratulations you're our first guinea pig how did Yay, you first come to get thrown into the lion's den <laughs> so yeah how tell us you, your yeah yeah, tell us your uh, your way you got into it. Uh, sort of by accident, actually. Um, my mom actually was in, into it, like like when Tom Baker was the doctor back away in the seventies. Yeah, that should show my Damn mom's straight. age. Sorry, mom, but um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, and uh, she, yeah, Tom Baker was her doctor. She watched it off and on on uh, PBS, if you know what that is. Uh, it's in the states. If you live in the states, you know what that is. It's basically a public broadcasting thing where that's where Doctor Who used to air back in the, the at least the classic run back in the day here in the states you know because yeah you know, and it was more Doctor Who was not as mainstream as it is nowadays <laughs> by comparison and uh, and uh, she found out that they had released a lot of uh, of classic Doctor Who on DVD and this was like when I was still in high school and she asked uh, anyone uh, like some of her family uh, some of my brothers and a few other people like could you get me some DVDs of Doctor Who for Christmas and so then she didn't specify Tom Baker so they just kind of just grabbed the first things that they could grab that would interest her uh, uh, that that she wanted and one of them was a Tom Baker story, and it happened to be the Robots of Death, which is uh, actually a really great story and yes. pretty. Uh, it's one of my personal favorites. Um, and um, and then uh, another was I think John Pertwee's um, debut story, uh, Spearhead from Space, which also debuted the Autons, those shop window dummy things. And then uh, the other one was, and the last one was the the Five Doctors, which had the first five Doctors basically facing off against this, uh, facing off against all kinds of crazy stuff and on Gallifrey so you know so quickly for for anyone out there who somehow doesn't know what Doctor Who is it basically is very simple there's an alien he's called the Doctor he's a Time Lord he can change his body which is a way for them to have different actors play the character it's always the same guy except not really because when he changes body he also kind of changes personality while keeping certain core things he has a magic box like a rebirth of sorts yeah he has a magic box that is a time machine and spaceship and then the writers do whatever they think is going to be fun. There you go. <laughs> yep. Funny enough, though, actually, in the 60s, when it started, um, it started as an educational program to teach kids about history and also teach them about science. So Yeah, the original uh, plan was to have yeah. episodes alternate between future settings and past settings so that a past yeah. setting would be a history lesson and, and a future setting would be like a science lesson. Yeah, exactly. And that help was helped by the fact that the first two companions the doctor ever had were a pair of school teachers he 
basically kidnapped, but named uh, Ian Chesterton and Barbara Wright. Um, and, uh, you know, and uh, I think if I recall correctly, Ian was the history teacher and Barbara was the science teacher, which no, no, I've got it reversed. Sorry. Barbara was the history teacher. Ian was the science guy. Okay. Sorry. Although it would have been really progressive if Barbara had been the science teacher. At least I think so. But, you know, at least for... Uh, yeah, it was the early 60s, so... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at we, least as progressive as they could get away we're showing, with We're showing a male teacher. Come on. That's pretty progressive. I mean, that's progressive I mean, enough. I, I mean, people are people are complaining about Doctor Who being more too, too politically correct nowadays with the Doctor being a woman. And yet, oh, you if you look at the creator, and yet if you watch the docudrama in Adventure in Space and Time, which basically details the origins of Doctor Who, there's a very diverse group of people that brought this show to life in the 60s. I mean, the very first director was a Hindi, a gay Hindi man. I mean, he was an openly gay because that wasn't the th- you couldn't do that back then but still and um yeah i mean the, the the main producer of the show was a woman which was virtually unheard of and the guy who kind of almost developed the concept was this canadian hotshot guy you know i mean it was like a big kind of melting pot for lack of a better term of all these different ideas and cultures and points of view coming together to just create something that has become like 50 years of over 50 years of wonderment, really. I do give or take a decade of, uh, of wait time. True, true. Yeah. But to be fair, when the show was off, it went off the air in 1989 after Sylv- when Sylvester McCoy was playing the role. Uh, like, uh, I mean, Big Finish kind of picked up the slack on that front a few years after that with their audio dramas. Oh, yeah, so. quick. For, there's probably a plenty of Doctor Who fans out there who only think of it as the, the show, and there's more so that yeah. only think of it as the oh, yes. modern show, which bothers me, but it's fine. It's fine. Point is, though, that yeah. oddly enough, two of the Doctors who are like the least good Doctors in show form turned out to be the best in just audio form, which are the eighth Agreed. and sixth and, they, and that was because the direct uh, the uh, and if you're ref- if you're referring to Colin Baker being one of those, that's because yes. Colin himself and I actually talked to him about this when I met him at a convention. He said that he it was something he really insisted upon when he started playing the the role was uh, on audio again was that he really wanted the writers to give him a really a big character arc because he wanted that he never got to do on TV and they went above and beyond on that. I mean, just a few years ago they even gave him a proper regeneration story so of which he never got on tv they just basically kind of just killed him off and used uh sylvester mccoy in a blonde wig to basically mask the regeneration a bit a bit you know, yeah so. point of bringing that up though is that there's a lot of doctor who even more than a lot of people realize yeah. those big finished I mean, dramas I mean, there are a lot of them <laughs> I mean, heck, the audio drama, and as of now, um, the they've been doing audios for twenty years, and uh, the sheer amount of stuff they put out, even discounting the new series stuff they've been putting out, you know, with David Tennant and all that, has pretty much eclipsed the length of the classic run itself, really. And that's not a bad thing, but it's still pretty damn impressive. Yeah, uh, I got into Doctor Who pretty late. I, um, Ninth Doctor was my first, which I think was true for a lot of people in, uh, oh, yeah. in our peer yeah. group. In Good general. old Chris Eccleston. <laughs> yeah, who's my fantastic. Se- yeah, he's uh, my third favorite Doctor. So, but anyway, I, I got into that roughly. Um, I didn't get into it until Tenet, I think, was in his last season. So it'd be fourth season of New Who. I is when I first heard about it, essentially. Yeah. And then, of course, yeah. I went back and watched the whole thing. Uh, Ulrich, mm-hmm. what was your entry point i always forget i was in the doctor who before you <laughs> it was probably because i was always like you you put me in this weird place because i've been a star trek fan since i was old enough to form memory and yet i didn't even know what doctor who was until college i don't know really how that 
happened, but yeah. Well, it's just more you are a much bigger Doctor Who fan than I have severely fallen off the wagon and always always forget that you came to doctor who a lot later and it, it feels weird in my brain it's like no yeah. no axel was always a doctor who fan that's just you know part of his origin I, story i know i mean i i mean heck i didn't even get into the audio until like 2011 after or 2010 2011 after matt smith's uh first season i just i did i just i kept hearing about them and passing from some of my other like the people in this facebook group i was in for a while and then i kind of and then i kind of dropped out of that group because the uh the lead uh, the the guy who was in charge of that group tended uh, started becoming a little more gatekeepy and it kind of turned me Gross. off so i kind of ended up i just kind of bowed out and like yeah no <laughs> but well, like uh, and so I there's a concept yeah. that we have that i uh that we have here at, at geeks with shields called a, a golden crown scene have, have you heard us talk about this before Is, would it be like like to describe a moment that's just like awesome and very evocative of the show. Or... You're very close. That is most of it. it the, the, the term comes from a personal experience I had where um, I didn't get into Game of Thrones until it was well into its like fourth season. And I didn't care, even though I'd heard about it, until a roommate showed me the scene of Cal Drogo pouring the molten gold on Viserys' head. And the scene was not only awesome and really interesting and well-acted and well-shot, but it conveyed very very succinctly what the entertainment value in the show was and thus got me to get into it. And so now I use the term golden crown scene to describe if you're trying to get someone into a show and you have one scene to show them, what is the scene you show them? Oh, so, that, that's like, a tough one because I know that I, cause for me, the scene that got me into the show, like, I mean, like, well, when I was to bring back to what I was saying about my mom getting the DVDs, like the DVDs for Christmas, um, she since bequeathed them onto me because she doesn't really watch as much Doctor Who anymore. But but uh, anyway, as was when I was watching, uh, I mean, we was um, I, I mean, I got the DVDs and I watched them, but I never really got super obsessed with it until I started watching reruns of David Tennant's second season, that's season three of the new series on uh, BBC America, and it was the episode Gridlock. Where, with the flying cars and everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good and one. there's this moment, this moment that 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 basically made me want to keep watching, which was uh, the show, which was the the moment where the doctor keeps uh, going down through the motorway through all these different flying cars all the way down while heroic music is playing in the background. You know, and I was just like, it's just, you know, it's just, you know, it's just, I'm like, I just had to, it's just, it, I thought that was such a great moment. And I, it was kind of swashbuckly. And I was just like, very no, swashbuckly. But Tenet in general was extremely swashbuckly. Yeah. And but, very uh, laddish as well, as they say in the Brit, uh, the Brits say. Yeah. yeah. It's the big boat. Yeah. So I bring up, yeah. So when I, when I was bringing up the Golden Crown scene, because literally my entry point was uh, I was living with like four of my closest friends and I happened to walk into one of their rooms while they were watching. Mm-hmm. I believe it was uh, Christopher Eccleston season, episode six, I think, which is Dalek. And um, Oh, yes. One of my favorites. Yeah. Yes. And the scene was, and again, keep in mind, I didn't know any of the history of Doctor Who. So I have no connection to the emotional like history of Daleks, I just saw the scene, and it was the end of the episode where the Doctor confronted that, yeah. and the way that the the dialogue was, and the acting was, and the cool creature design, yeah. and the fact that it was this really emotional, dramatic moment. Uh, 
that's what that was what it was like okay i'm gonna watch more of this now <laughs> yeah the, the dollar that's a really that's a very emotional episode and it's actually the writer of that episode he actually based uh dalek off of uh, a story he wrote for big finish that had with colin baker's doctor called jubilee which is a lot darker and a lot more uh, and darkly comedic in some respects but also a lot more satirical and there's actually some satire in there that kind of feels a little uncomfortable to hear nowadays in light of recent electoral decisions going on yeah not just in, Amer- in britain but in america so it's kind of uncomfortable it's a, a bit of an uncomfortable listen but it's it's kind of a necessary listen if you're going to start listening to big finish but one of the ones what i was recommended Another anyway was, uh, but yeah so yeah but we'll get more into that later oh yeah T- tangents are the norm here at yes. geese with shields and i feel yes. like we cut off ulrich from his uh yeah my, your my bad my bad ulrich sorry buddy. that's all good <laughs> go, go ahead i'm actually trying to remember how i came there too because i my introduction to Doctor Who is probably the same as a lot of people. It was the Christopher Eccleston revival. Mm-hmm. And I think it was my uncle, who's a big source for a lot of my sci-fi stuff. He was like, I remember Doctor I'm not sure how I feel about this new Doctor And I remember giving it a watch. And I I watched it in passing because when I got to it, they had the whole first season of Eccleston. So I could just re- go back and watch that. And I'm like, I'm not sure if I like this show. It's a bit weird. I feel like there's a bunch of lore I'm missing. And Eccleston mm-hmm. didn't really work for me as a doctor so much. I'm like, I'm not sure I like this character. There's just something kind of off about him. And that, yeah, Eccleston's doctor is a little bit prickly and unapproachable well, at first. Well, I like how people, the community, yeah. like, I've heard yeah, him uh, described yeah. as uh, the veteran. He's the you know the guy oh, that's yes he, he's he's, yes, he's uh, very he's much a shell shocked veteran. Well, that's and why that I don't sweet. I will I that's why I'm not going to tell anyone they're wrong necessarily. But if you tell me that the best Eccleston episode isn't the Doctor dances, you, you know just just saying. Yeah, although he, although he does do pretty well in Father's Day as well. I mean that's although I was trying to get one of my friends into the show and he lost a, his mom at a young age and Father's Day was a little, even though it dealt with for someone losing their mo- father at a young age it still kind of was tough for him to get through because of him losing his mother at a young age so but but he still enjoyed the episode it was just hard for him to get through and I like, remember the episode and I even warned him up front that this might cause a few this might kind of make you a little raw buddy so just a fair warning. <laughs> uh, the episode that kind of, you know, got me cemented because I made it through, like, I watched it just because, oh, no, this is fun. This is on. It was, is it The Empty Child? Oh, yes. Yeah. Stephen Moffat's entry that's, point that's, into the Doctor Who universe. Yeah, those two episodes back to back, like, okay, this yeah, is really that's creepy. That's the Empty Child really that dances. Cool. That's what I was yeah. saying. Yeah, Stephen, ah. Stephen Moffat has that really great knack for, like, really snappy dialogue that you just, you just, you could just, you, it'll grab you instantly, even if you're not aware that you're being grabbed. You know? Better as an episode writer than a season writer, but we can talk about that later. Uh, yeah, uh, well, I mean, he has his issues being a showrunner, but, you know, he did his best, I think. You know, I mean, I, I, I at least like what I liked about him as a showrunner is that he was constantly trying to take chances and trying to do different things, you know? Yeah, yeah that was the one that cemented me. And then it was tenant that you know i became a big doctor who fan through that because tenant's really likable the stories are really good uh and then i just kind of fell off with smith just because started running out of available time to catch up on this and i really i didn't like the stories under that whole period i thought it undid a lot and uh, what they did to the weeping angels to me is still just a travesty 
Yeah, and it's a I prime know. example of overuse or overexplanation. Yeah, I yeah, know. but you do really need uh, to watch Capaldi. They, man. They've been actually, even though they're a visual antagonist, Big Finish has been using them pretty effectively in their audio stories. It's like, a they great even have a story concept. With Tom you can angels that's in the pipeline that I'm looking forward to hearing. So you could totally go back to them and do them more. The problem was they kept trying to explain them, and that and yeah, basic rule of horror: do not explain your monster. You give just well, enough, but if you overexplain, you, know, you open up plot holes and you open up inconsistencies, and it stops yeah. being scary. I've recently found out that in uh, in film parlance, that that's generally called the midichlorian problem, which is don't yeah. overexplain things. <laughs> yeah, although I mean, although origin stories in Doctor Who can be pretty effective, like Genesis of the Daleks during Tom Baker's fucking a right Genesis of the Daleks. Sorry, it's like my favorite Doctor Who story. It, it's Watch. one of mine too. I mean, especially especially the whole "Do I have the right?" moment. You know, just it just it just shows you it at the core of who the like the Doctor's morality right there. As a like, quick sidebar, yes. my favorite Doctors in order would be fourth, twelfth, ninth, tenth. Seventh, so I'm not gonna keep going because you can't get to do the whole uh, thing. But yeah, um, and then uh, and then another origin story that I found working well was uh, Big Finish did a origin story for the Cybermen called Spare Parts with Peter Davison. Spare doctor. Parts is amazing. Is basically the like it's totally the inspiration for the the twelfth season ender. Uh, yeah, and it also is the inspiration for the uh, two-parter with David Tennant's Doctor with those parallel universe Cybermen. They even say, like, give thanks to Mark Platt, the writer of that story, in the credits. In fact, uh, and Mark Platt is actually one of my favorite writers on Big Finish because no matter what he's writing, whether it's a historical or it's an alien world, he makes it feel lived in and real. His, his he has a very uncomparable knack for world building that is just unreal. It is just it's. I mean, he even did a Cyberman story for their third Doctor stuff that they, they've been putting out lately. That's just, it's not an origin for the Cybermen, but it's still a very just creepy, atmospheric kind of Cyberman story, almost like a techno thriller kind of thing. But it's, even though it's on this like arid desert world, but it's still, it still feels real and lived in and just, it's so, it's so, it's just, I love Mark Platt. <laughs> He's so good. Yeah, I, I keep, I keep trying to tell <laughs> That he needs to watch Capaldi's stuff because even though it oh, still Capaldi's has Capaldi's amazing, yeah, I mean, even though it still has some of the issues of as we've established, Stephen Moffat is a showrunner. Capaldi is such a dominating force, which is why he's my favorite of the new Doctors. Oh yes, oh yeah, he's one of my favorites too. In fact, and just a lot, and the way he draws out his vowels a bit almost reminds me a bit of Tom actually, Baker a little bit. In fact, one of my friends is going to be meeting Peter Capaldi at a convention, and I even paid her some money to get me uh, an autograph from him. So I could, because I wasn't going to be able to attend, and I even you know told what her, like, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I, I and uh, I even told her like, to, like you know, tell her that uh, tell uh, tell him that you know I'm I'm a big fan of his, his doctor, and I just I love the fact that his a lot of his line deliveries are almost evocative of Tom's. It's almost like he's kind of channeling Tom, and so especially especially in the um uh, what was that episode with the superhero um oh, the good. return the return of Doctor Mysterio. That's it. Um, where uh, where he where he's like flips around where he flips around and dares the guy to uh, shoot him in the back, and he says, "Tell us how." Tell, tell them how you shot us in the back in self-defense. We'll be laughing all the way to the slab. And also, he's that eating constantly in that episode is very when I hear, Tom when Baker. I hear that li- when I hear that line, I'm just like, that is such a Tom Baker line. I mean, I mean, there's a, a it just feels like a, to- a line Tom Baker would say if he was still if he was playing the Doctor, you know. And it amazes me that I can't go on YouTube. I've tried several times to find just the the scene of it's the one where they're on the space like Oriental Express, 
And that, I think it was that one anyway, but it's the line where the doctor says something like, I was going for minimalist, but I think I came up magician. Oh, that's the very first, that's the very first episode he did. Yeah. No, it wasn't the first one because he. No, it was, uh, it was in deep breath when he, after he changed his outfit and everything and, you know, gotten in, you know, revamped the TARDIS and everything. Yeah. It was deep breath. I'm going to have to go back and check because I'm like, I'm like 99% positive that it didn't show up until his second season, but sure. Uh Okay, fair enough. It's possible I'm misremembering too, folks. It's because it was it was the 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 uh, not the blowback. It's the wrong word, but it was the criticism that, or not criticism, even it was just the comment that fans were like, "He looks like a magician," and that didn't become like a thing until yeah. the season had gone. Well, <laughs> well, also I think it's also a bit of a reference, like because uh, Peter Capaldi when he was doing like a, a, a movie in, uh, here in America one time, like that was kind of supposed to be a continuation of his series, The Thick of It. Um, he, awesome. uh, he came on the Craig Ferguson show, uh, who was an old friend of his. They actually used to be in a punk rock and a rock band together, believe it or not. Uh, and, uh, he came out in this suit that had red lining on it and everything. And, um, and, uh, Craig said to him, Peter, you never told me you were a magician. So maybe it's a reference to that as well. So possible. trying to invoke some kind of hilarious and hindsight thing, but who knows? Anyway, but Ulrich always comes back with basically just time. Yeah. So yeah, yeah sorry. time and we're living in the golden age of television and there's so much good crap and with Doctor Who and like many other things, I'm a completionist. If I'm gonna get to the Capaldi run, I have to get through the Smith and I'm just yeah. not in the mood for that because he never worked. I, I will say one me. of the highlights of the stories. You know, yeah. Sorry. And I never liked the companion, honestly. Yeah. And I think one of the highlights of Matt Smith's run though is Definitely the 50th anniversary episode, the day of the. Doctor I want to watch that just for the reason of it's a big thing. They're all together, and yeah. you, you can't well, miss out on that. That's that's the one other one reason to watch it. The other is because of the fact that Moffat had the fucking audacity to have John Hurt play the Doctor. Yeah. I, I don't want to say too much of unless you've already been spoiled on it, or Rick. But the fact I know that, all I know is John Hurt's in there, and of course that's like. 10 more points to watch it because the man I mean, John Hurt, John Hurt, God rest his soul. I won't give details, but something happens at the end of that that's literally one of my favorite moments in all of Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah. John Hurt played a space marine. Yeah, also true. In a way, yeah. yeah. No, he literally, he's literally in the, there's a god off movie out there where he voices a space marine. Well, now, I might have to watch it now because no, John Hurt is no, like, no, no, do not watch it. I'll also say, are you sure? Because I'm one of those people who like, like John Hurt was in the top three actors. I will watch anything that they're in, even though it's shit. So, okay, watch it, but no, it's bad. It's okay. It's but really the, 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 in, in case you're wondering, the other two actors are David Warner and uh, and uh, Christopher Lloyd. So, Lloyd good choices. I mean, David Warner is great too. I mean, in fact, there's even a, some some bits of audio and uh, the uh, big finish audios where he actually plays an alternative version of the third doctor from a timeline where he, the doctor didn't serve as unit scientific advisor. And it's, he's amazing in the role. I mean, so it's just, by the way, before we, before we go off, yeah. I want to say that oh, another sorry. thing about Capaldi, <laughs> my single favorite doctor who story, audio drama uh, show, whatever is a 12th doctor story. It's the episode heaven sent. And it is my oh god period yes, favorite Doctor Who story. So yes, it, I actually read that Moffat said he based it off a script he originally pitched to Big Finish for a, a, that was based around a similar concept, except it was like going to be the Eighth Doctor Paul McGann basically facing his fears and all that stuff. But apparently, Big Finish rejected it for some reason because they weren't sure how well it would work on audio. Also, Paul McGann getting a straight up like you know little short 
film that references a bunch of his big finish stories. That was just awesome. And also, that the fact that, and also the fact that he was delighted to finally have a regeneration. You know, I mean, I saw the behind the scenes stuff for that. And he was just like, finally, they're filling the gap. I can regenerate. You know, I mean, I'm still going to do stuff, but I don't care. I'm regenerating on screen. This is awesome. Also, he has that great line of uh, what was it? You have two minutes to decide. Two minutes. It's an eternity. What, what if I get bored? Yeah, that's very much in keeping with how he was characterized on Big Finish with the gallows humor and everything. Bring me knitting. <laughs> yeah. So I feel I mean, like this is a perfect segue into the next part of the discussion. Yeah. So Why, yeah. What is it you love about Doctor Who? Uh, just the fact how it can reinvent itself. Like, even within, uh, even within, like, uh, just uh, on, like, depending who's playing the Doctor or, or just the different genres it can go into, like, even within the same episode. I mean, I mean, I mean, it could go from like a gothic horror story to a big science fiction romp in a, in a blink of an eye, and it would still work. Oh, you know, as long as, I mean, if it's written right, I mean, but still. But, yeah, I mean, well, even it's, when it's not and, and also well, the fact that it, Yeah, and also the fact that it's so versatile that it can exist in so many storytelling formats from comics to novels to audio drama, to not just television. It's not constrained by any one medium. Keyword. It's not constrained by anything. It's actually one of the interesting. It can be frustrating sometimes, but most of the time it's more yeah. force or positive. The Doctor wasn't constrained by shit. Yeah, I mean, don't, don't, even, I mean, some, I mean, even the novels are get really audacious with it. Like, and and some of the and some of the audio dramas that they adapted from those novels. Like, uh, there's a story, and it's one of my personal favorites. It's a Seventh Doctor story called All Consuming Fire. And the plot is basically the Seventh Doctor and his companions team up with Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson to face off with, against Lovecraftian monsters. That sounds right. Although I feel like yeah. the Seventh Doctor would um, would drive yeah. Sherlock to killing himself. So, oh well, right. Actually, they, there's a like they actually have a bit of a like there's a moment in the novel and the audio adaptation uh, where the doctor where Sherlock tries his best to get a read on the doctor and he just is totally flummoxed he can't read him worth a damn he can't well i was just more alluding to the fact that for those who don't know the seventh doctor is one of the darkest most cynical but you know amazingly so doctors he is a he is a machiavellian chess master of the highest order (laughs) i love i love the seventh doctor at least in the audios i mean some of the novels he becomes totally reprehensible and i don't like him but in the novel they've kind of toned that down in the audios like like they actually adapted russell t davies's novel damaged goods for audio and um in the novel from what i've heard i haven't read it i've only read the all-consuming fire novel but uh, so far really but uh, but he is so unlikable and a lot of people said that they actually lightened him up in the audio version and that's not the only change they made as well but still and that's one of the yeah, reasons but... why sixth doctor also gets a lot of flack for in the show not in the auto drop in the show is because yeah. he was kind of unlikable but anyway yeah. so the show's yeah. ability to reinvent itself i would say it's it's huge variety, right? Because of these lack of constraints, right? Um, Oh yes. I mean, personally, a big one for me is, is character itself. Like the doctor and the fact that you can pick, find a doctor that works for you. And then it's like a gateway into all the rest of it. But the fact that they're all 
very obviously the same character while being in completely different takes on the character exactly. is fascinating. And it leads to yeah. a wonderful character work too when you when you do the multi doctor stories too. I mean, especially the very first one, which they uh, which was the three doctors. Um, you can see the stark contrast between how P- Patrick Troughton plays it, which is kind of the buffoonish kind of playing the fool, but underneath it all is very clever and subversive and really trying to you know, undermine things while, while uh, the third Dr. John Pertwee, Pertwee is playing it very kind of author- uh, authoritative and, and being like, yes, we have to be very professional about this, you know, and just seeing how they just, they, cla- they clash and yeah, it's this little the same person. <laughs> in fact, one, why... one of my favorite bits in that story is um, it, when, when the third doctor is trying to explain to Joe Grant, his companion at the time, how this thing works is that he po- he points to the sector, he goes, I am he and he is me. And and Joe sa- uh, uh, says, and we're all together, cuckoo too. And the second doctor was like, uh, was like what is that? And uh, uh, Joe says, it's a song by the Beatles. And so the second doctor pulls out uh, his recorder and goes, oh, how does it go? And the third doctor says, oh, please be quiet, would you? You know, it's just, you can see that, that just the contrast between them it's just it's yeah, so sounds about right by the way if anyone out there is a fan of like new who and you haven't got into old who the, the tomb of the cybermen is a really great old oh, doctor who story yes. to watch to is it in just saying or, or or um or um uh the seventh doctor story uh what was that dalek story uh revelation of the daleks or something like that yeah mm, that one's pretty that good one. i haven't but, seen but all also sh- and that, and that one is really good because it also shows how capable some of the companions can be too because ace the seventh doctor's companion at the ace time awesome. takes on a dalek with a baseball bat yep i ace. remember that one so the best small we, human we, has escaped. Who are you calling small? You know, and just starts wailing on him, <laughs> and even knocks off the eye stalk at one point. And I'm, wow, I like this girl already. <laughs> Not to kick up any shit though, but we do have to make the caveat: if you are going back and watching old Doctor Who, you need to understand they were making this on a shoestring budget. Oh, that's, hell that's yeah. giving them now, more. That is a like, watershed for a lot of people, shoe. myself included. Yeah, Again, that, not taking up shit. Just want to make sure people don't go yeah. in going, you know, expecting yeah. this and yeah, going, BBC wait a second. kind of didn't give, didn't give, yeah, the BBC didn't really expect Doctor Who to last as long as it has. And basically, yeah. what else? They re recorded over some of the old stuff. Yeah. yeah you, you go to class. The audio tracks still exist as uh, TVs. Yeah, the audio tracks for a lot of the older stories exist in some kind of soundtrack form you can find on like audiobook sites and stuff like that. But but you know, but I I mean I that's how I got gotten to most got my most of my classic Who fix. Although I mostly listen to a lot of Big Finish nowadays. But yeah, but you, but if you're watching classic Doctor Who, you're you're doing it for the stories, for dialogue, for like fun kind of character stuff. The the effects yeah. that that is they had and no noting money. little continuity it, it nods they make from the new series. Star Trek. It makes Star Trek look like a big budget Hollywood film. Classic Who does have its little rough around the edges parts, but I mean, heck, even you know, Michael Gammon, who played a role in one of Matt Smith's episodes, uh, kind of uh, joked about how low the production values were in Classic Who when he was being interviewed for the Who episode. He's like, yeah, I remember when it was Daleks and cardboard sets. <laughs> so that should give you an idea of how shoestring the budget was. Oh, by the way, I want to say the whole like doctors interacting thing. That's actually why uh, I loved, I don't remember the, the most recent like version of that with David Bradley playing first doctor meeting. Oh, Capone's David Bradley 12th. was amazing. Yeah. It's like, he did such a good job at reenacting uh, yeah. William Hartnell's funny, funny thing. I actually met David Bradley at a convention a few months after that episode aired. 
and I actually, I, and, you know, I was there with my girlfriend at the time and it was a lot of fun. And I, 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 I was gushing. I basically kind of, when I went up to his booth and told him how much I really enjoyed how he played the first doctor and hope he continues with it. No, and he is kind of doing that with Big Finish, but still. And uh, and he actually confessed to me that he hadn't seen the finished episode yet as of the time that I had met him. So Because he he's such a busy man that he yeah. just hasn't had time to really watch some of his own work. Oh, also, while since this is the perfect time to do it with the Doctor Who discussion, I'm going to, you know, plant a flag here and mm-hmm. say uh, Jodie Whittaker is good. Uh, if you're bitching about it, then, you know, if you're listening, I just, I'm sorry. She's good. And <laughs> she's about Jody like. is amazing. I, I, I was worried. I really was worried about how she was going to play it. But she actually then, reminds me a lot of first season 10th Doctor. Like she just feels a lot a like. A little bit Tenet, of that. But now that I've listened to a lot more big finish audios, I'm noticing a characteristics she also shares with the fifth Doctor a little bit. Kind of being well, very. That makes sense because the 10th very, Doctor was kind of doing a riff on the fifth doctor so yeah and also becoming being very open with the companions treating them like friends or family and stuff like that as opposed to just traveling companions and all that yeah, but also so, i've noticed but also i've noticed she has this very nice kind of all loving inclusive nature that paul mcgann brought to the role when he was playing the, the doctor on audio and so and so it makes kind of like a it's a fitting mishmash of five and eight considering she yeah, but my, that's my point is that, like, yeah, I didn't like her as much as Capaldi or Tennant or Eccleston. She's still really good, though. And yeah, I was, she brings it. She yeah. brings it. So anyway, I just want to plant that flag and get, get ahead of that. I, and I was, was going to help pound that flag in so it's cemented in there. So Good man, good man. With me because that's exactly how I feel, too, is just Jody's great. I mean, all these not my doctor people can just piss off. <laughs> well, one, I'm surprised it took them this long to make a female doctor, and two, not to spin us off on too much of a tangent, but mm. has anyone ever addressed the fact that the doctor kidnaps people? Uh, actually, kind of. I think they. I think they. Kind of, I, think they I think they kind of addressed that during Christopher Eccleston's run a little bit well, because no, there have uh, been a couple companions, when, especially when, uh, recently, when, who straight up confronted him about it. Bill Potts did in that episode with the uh, yeah. the house. And th- and yeah, and then there was that, and then there was the, um, and then there was the Christopher Eccleston episode where where he had returned Rose back to back home. Only it turns out that you know they thought that it was only like twelve hours when it turned out it was twelve months. So it was a year after she had left. So they, as far as Rose and her family knew, she had been gone for a year and disappeared off the face of the earth, and no one could find her. And that's they why she was I love dead. Rose's mom. Rose's mom was great because I remember. Oh yeah, she, Jackie she, Tyler, she bless her heart. Uh, the doctor's shit, and it's coming back to me. Like, no, she was even slaps him my daughter and took her into war zones. What is wrong with you, you crazy motherfucker? Yeah, I mean, just, I mean, I've, she reminds me so much of how my mom would probably feel if I had traveled with the doctor. Just probably rip him. I mean, she'd be like, like, just why do you do this to my kid? You know, yeah, no, I will say, I will say, Rose is the companion that I'm kind of on the opposite side from the general Doctor Who community of. I'm not a huge fan of Rose. I I get it, but just and that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I'm not. I mean, I mean. As long as you're not one of those people who like does thinks Rose is a Mary Sue or some shit. Oh, no, not at all. Because that was one of the key things that I finally decided to leave that Doctor Who group I was talking about before is there was so many people ragging on Rose, calling her a Mary Sue. And even after I posted like a really impassioned defense on this blog I used to post just to kind of get my thoughts out before I became a Let's Player, you know, uh, you know. And then Defense of Rose Tyler and stuff. Some people were still like, you know, uh, they just. They just couldn't. They just 
you know, they couldn't believe, they just, yeah, I just, I I, they still were calling over that, and I was just like, okay, I'm done. Yeah, but also people, a lot of people online use that term without at all understanding what that term actually means. I could think of a that few very, big, very important characters in recent movies that people use that term for that does not apply. Excuse me. Excuse me. Tickle my throat. It's no, just... I just, I don't like Rose just personally. And it's not because of it. Like, I think the actress is doing a fine job. I just feel like. Oh, Rose yeah. Billy character. Piper was, I mean, before Billy Piper was even played Rose, she was basically like a pop singer and, but, or something like that from what I've heard. But she, she does pretty well. So. Yeah, but I lean more like, as far as 10th Doctor's companions are concerned, I'm like a Donna fan, for instance. Oh, Lordy. Yeah, I love Donna. Catherine Smarmy. Tate is a wonderful person. <laughs> if you ever get to meet her, she is, she is a force of nature in the best possible way. I, yep. I met I met her at, I met her at a convention. And I was dressed as the tenth Doctor, and before before I could even have a chance to say say walk up to her for the photo op, she just kind of just belted out really loudly, "Come over here, Doctor!" And she claps her hand around my shoulder and just and I'm just like, "Oh my God!" <laughs> she just was exuberant. She is just she is a powerhouse. And then anyway, it's not obvious her. from this oh. conversation. Doctor Who is such a big, sprawling, enormous thing that keeping a single train of thought in a conversation about it is fucking impossible. <laughs> and that's and that's part of the fun of it. And and that's part of why I love listening to the audios because you know because it, it, they all take place at different points of the Doctor's lives, lives you know, and stuff. Although Big Finish only has the clearance up to doing stuff with Capaldi's Doctor at this point. Hopefully, they'll get Whitaker in once she hands the keys off. But still, because I I mean I mean she I mean Capaldi hasn't come in yet to do any full cast stuff, but they have done like dramatic readings with his Doctor, like, like where other people have basically are imitating him. But it's still but they're still pretty decent. So yeah. bringing it around to our last point, uh-huh. what do you feel Doctor Who says about you as a person? Like you're a fan of Doctor Who. How do you think that reflects on you? I think it shows that you know I'm. I'm willing to accept changes in my life as when they're dramatic or in some cases, uh, you know, because the doctor has always been this progressive force for good, always trying to help the oppressed, doesn't always do it properly. I think that's a good metaphor for real life, really, where some people are trying to do the right thing and they still screw up, but they keep going anyway. They should keep going anyway, you know? Uh, like, or as uh, Craig Ferguson said, it's basically like, you know, it's like a, it's a, it's a, it's like intelligence and decency overcoming brute force and cynicism. I like that uh, at least a lot. I think that's because... how he put it on his uh, show. I don't remember how no. exactly he worded it, but I love that because the I, I've always loved the idea that the doctor is his two things that allow him to come out of any situation are his intellect and his compassion. Literally saying that empathy and intelligence are like the two things required to dominate the universe. You know, that's basically. Exactly. And that's what it feels like is a basic lesson of Doctor Who in any era to be. I, I, I w- I'm willing to agree with you on that. And I think that is in, and I think that's become a lot more overt as with Jodie Whittaker's run, particularly because of the fact that they, that Chris Chibnall, the current showrunner, has been really going for broke on making sure being a little more inclusive and having people of color be companions and stuff like that and telling stories that are that are very progressive and forward thinking, like the Rosa Parks episode, which is like I was about to say yeah, that was probably the 
the best episode I, I think, of the last season. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I loved all the last season, but I with I'm with you. Rosa Parks was definitely the highlight. My favorite thing about it, even though it's uh, my favorite thing about that episode, though, is the fact that they address the racism of the time head on and it's very illustrated by the fact that the uh, black kid what's his name uh ryan goes to pick up the lady's glove and hand it to her and the husband of that guy just and it's shown on screen gets slaps him right across the face like bam and you see it in the slow-mo and stuff and the slow-mo and everything and i love that not because he got slapped but because they are this is showing the whole how horrible the racism was head on and they just don't cut away from it and and then they show and then later on ryan and yasmin i think the the Indian girl, a Hindi girl, are talking about like how they still face racism in the twenty in their own time period, and I feel like that should that should just be, it's kind of heartbreaking, but it also should be an eye opener to people saying, "Hey, this stuff is is still happening now. We should do something about this." You know. By the way, that I love too the the one where um, Graham O'Brien, like he's oh, like, "Yeah, it's my Graham. grandson," and just everyone like, because <laughs> you know the time. Yeah. I I, lo- I love Graham. He reminds me so much of my uh, paternal grandfather to some extent because I'm a I'm a descendant of Irish here in the states, and my grandfather was like one of the, those people who came to America when he was a boy and from Ireland, and he's he he kind of has that same kind of warm-hearted nature that Graham does, and it, and although I don't think my grandfather would have known who Banksy is, yeah. hell, I don't even know who Banksy is. That's kind but of the point, still, though. <laughs> but, but now but still, I wouldn't claim. But yeah, that's just it. He reminds me so much of my grandfather, and it was just, uh, just it. You need. I feel like we need that kind of presence in the TARDIS to kind of to balance out the the energy of the younger folks. You know, oh, just definitely. to kind of be almost like the voice of reason, but also be like, okay, let's have some fun, kids. You know. But also, I would I wouldn't claim to speak for you, but I think another big thing that Doctor Who, being a pillar of um, your geekdom says about you is that Doctor Who, more than most shows in existence, is a show about capital O optimism. Optimism, optimism sorry, not optimism. Yes. <laughs> I was to say that was yeah. optimism. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. but the point is that it, even even though there are some episodes that are downers, in general, this is a show about uh, positive thinking and that everything will eventually be yeah. better. And then another thing I really like about it also is this, it actively embraces the fact that there's continuity errors in it. In fact, Russell C. Davies even said in with him once where he basically he contends that because of the continuity errors, Doctor Who is probably the more the, one of the more realistic genre shows on television right now because of the fact that it just takes the continuity error and just it just it doesn't consider it an error. It's just like a little time fluke or something it's like that. Time wobbly. Exactly. And so it just, it, it's, it's a perfect, I mean, I mean, I mean, heck, even Stephen Moffat even said, you're going to talk to me, you're going to talk about continuity errors with me about a, in a show that about a guy who changes history for a living. So yeah. It's been going for now, God knows how long. Yeah. Now exactly. we could talk about, we could talk about Doctor Who literally forever. I didn't get a chance to talk about the yeah. speech from Zygon inversion or Waters of Mars terrifying the piss out of me. All these wonderful, inter- so, wonderful episodes, both. Yeah. So point is, uh, we're we're kind of running out of time, so Golden yeah. Tales Geek, as this is your uh, your soapbox, um, what are your <laughs> concluding thoughts uh, on the conversation on Doctor Who? What do you want to leave people with? Uh, I just feel like this show has something for everybody, really, and I feel like you know it should be. I think 
I think what Chibnall's doing to try to make it more overtly progressive is a good thing, not a bad thing. And I think more shows really need to hammer home that progressive thinking really is the way to go because otherwise we're going to just get people like Donald Trump continuing to get to cause shit. And I don't want that to happen. I want this. I want us to be a really forward thinking world instead of being having all these regressives ruin things, you know, progressivism in general. Yeah. Yeah. And get on board with that. Anyway, so now, uh, actually, Ulrich, do we go right into our, uh, I guess next would be the opportunity for Golden Tales Geek to plug whatever he wants to plug. Am I right? Yep. Yeah. Well, as I said, I'm sorry, Ulrich. Uh, well, as I said at the start, I'm a Let's Player on YouTube. I'm not a, I'm not like super active with it, though, because I have a job that keeps me busy most of the time. But when I do, I just, I try to. Yeah, I I mean when I do have a YouTube pro- a let's play project going on, I I usually I upload on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. And then every Saturday even if I don't have a project going on, I have a series that's called Playing Video Games for the First Time, which is pretty much what it says on the tin where it's basically like a first impressions video series where I pick a game usually from my Steam back catalog and just try it out and see how it is and everything and just and it's mostly just indie game stuff, you know. So and I've got a few um episodes lined up of that series that i've been planning out for a while that i've wanted of games i wanted to play so and i'm actually going to be i have a let's play on hiatus that i'm going to be bringing out to, uh back soon called of pokemon yellow so stay tuned for that i i put it on hiatus due to personal issues that were kind of affecting my ability to work on it but so i i feel like i'm in a better headspace now than i was back then that i can start working on it again so stay tuned folks <laughs> All right. Well, after our guest plug, we move into how we end all or how we close out all our episodes, which is suggestions of the week, which is just things we've been into recently that we want to suggest. Ulrich, I'm going to give you the floor first. All right. Well, I think like many of you, I've been doing a Star Wars binge in preparation for Rise of the Skywalker. And I should do that, too. It's a lot of fun. I, there's there's some interesting things, but I'm not going to get off on that tangent. And one of the things I've been redoing uh, is I've been going back and watching the Clone Wars animated series on Disney Plus. Mm. And honestly, if you've missed Which out one? on this, this is not the this is the ah uh, oh, the newer one with they're both good. Dave Filoni, that... yes, the Dave Filoni one. Yeah, I've heard about this one. Yeah, no, I slept on this one for a long time because so did I. I was mad. I, I grew up with the Gendry Tartakovsky one, which is amazing. And I felt that this one was replacing that one and it wasn't going to be as good. And I finally came around to it years later. It takes a while to get going, but this is probably a big reason why a lot of people like the prequels a bit more because it does a lot of fleshing out. It is really, really cool. And even though it is technically a kid's cartoon there's some dark dark shit in there and there's a lot of great foreshadowing it's a really fun show and it bounces all over the place like you have big epic battle scene uh episodes my personal favorite being you know the second attack on geonosis when they bring out clone flamethrowers and they light some geonosians on fire and there's a crackling sound effect in a kid's cartoon uh you also get a bit more character development on anakin and why he falls it's a great show. If you are a Star Wars fan and you haven't watched this, definitely give it a try. It's really, really good. It is all I, technically canon now, and it yeah. really kind of smooths over a lot of the problems the prequels had. I, we'll I talk about that more in a different episode of the Clone Wars here and there, but I never had a chance to really watch it with any fervor, so I might and have I, to I would, dig into that. I would say if anyone's really concerned about it being a kid show, let me, let me just say this. One of the best scenes in the show involves 
uh, involves Anakin walking in on someone trying to forcibly kiss Padme, and he proceeds to basically beat them to near death with his fists. And it is amazing as a scene. <laughs> yeah, no, this show definitely has the dark moments. Like, There's a lot of great hinting and character building in Anakin. There's great intrigue. There's You get a little bit of everything. And there, like I said, there's some dark, there's a thing tribute in this series. Also, the sequel series Rebels, while not as good as Clone Wars in general, does have what is one of the best lightsaber fights in any Star Wars ever, which is the final fight between Darth Maul and Obi-Wan. There are so and many it's... good lightsaber fights in this series. Again, so Dave Filoni, this is the guy that's doing uh, Mandalorian. If you like Mandalorian, I bet you're going to like yeah. Clone Wars. One of the things that I wanted to see in Clone Wars that I didn't get a chance to see was apparently Tom Baker did a voice in uh, one of the episodes on it. So, oh, that's cool. Yeah, he did like the like like a manifestation of the force or something like that. Oh yeah, I know that. That's a weird episode. That's and again, I, I haven't seen anyway. it, but I, but I read an interview with Tom where he talked about, it, and so I'm like, I have to see this oh, to try yeah. to, to try to keep us on somewhat track here, yeah. because yeah, I sorry. can easily talk Star Wars for a whole another episode. Yeah, so, I uh, probably could too. Yeah. So my suggestion of the week is something that is not obscure at all. It's actually really well known online, but I only just discovered it, which is a YouTube channel called Jaden Animations. Have you guys heard of it? I think I might have done. I'm not sure. So it's this, yeah, it's this girl. She's been doing it for like, like six years or something like that. All she, she literally just tells stories of her life and she animates them and she's got a really killer sense of humor. Her art style is very simple, but very effective. Like she's got one story that literally is just her talking about her experience with pets growing up that's it like how she you know asked for a dog for a year and you know, she just draws like herself bothering her parents and it's really funny and it's i got i got into it because she recently put out like this 16 minute video animating her chronicle of doing a uh, a nuzlocke playthrough of pokemon ruby Ooh, which that I video have to watch this yeah if you're a pokemon fan look up jade animations nuzlocke and that video that's what got me to start. I started binging all of her material. And yeah, she's got like, you know, a lot of subscribers, she's like in the millions. So she's not obscure or anything. It's just, I had never heard of her until that video. And now I love all her stuff. So I'm definitely going to seek this out. <laughs> yeah. So, and I like that. It's just, a you know, just a, a, this animator online. There's no, it's not a show necessarily. It's not this big thing. It's just this one person who's does a really good job of making really entertaining, very personal content. So that's my suggestion. Yeah. I have a couple of suggestions actually. Not just the big finish audios. Those like especially if you're if you're really wanting to get into who but you're turned off by the production values, big finish audios might help you with that because it's just like a movie in your head, really. And for, like 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 Jubilee and spare parts, those are two I, my, my like my go, my common recommendations. There's a few other stories that I could recommend. I mean, all the Eighth Doctor stuff is definitely a big recommend because he's just Paul. Just his character arc is so incredible. And then um, and then the other thing I want to recommend actually is a show called Farscape, which was came out in 1999, so it predates like New Who by a few years. And it's just it has it's like it's kind of like a weird kind of deconstructive space opera, and all the aliens were done by the Jim Henson Company, and a lot of the kind of sly kind of humor and stuff in there. And at the time, like all the characters would go through all these different arcs and stuff, and that was kind of a unique thing at the time because you know because like where where like because one character 
character would be a certain way in the first season and then be a totally different character in season four in terms of like uh, how they evolve and change based off of their experiences. And that was kind of, and uh, I'm, I mean, Buffy kind of did that first to some extent, but I think it was, wasn't until Farscape came along that it started to become more commonplace. And also, even though they're, the heroes were basically were heroes, but they weren't afraid to get their hands dirty and do some reprehensible things, even if they were the heroes. So there's a lot of shades of gray in there as well. And I never just, watched Farscape. I, I'm a huge Buffy fan, though, so yeah. maybe. <laughs> Farscape is great. It's, it's it's wonderful. I mean, one of my favorite examples uh, I cite in terms of character growth is um, there's this character named Dargo, who in the first season is basically kind of the blasting warrior type guy almost like toxic masculinity thing going on and he's just like shoot but let me kill it you know that kind of thing you know and then over time he kind of softens up and he starts developing a more of a sense of humor and everything and you know and um I mean, it's even shown towards the end of the first season, he's developing that kind of snarky sense of humor by hanging around with John Crichton, the main character, who, you know, and and there's a moment in the fourth season that really illustrates this, where there's this character who's joined the crew named Naranti, who's kind of play, kind of like this like, dithering old lady who has Alzheimer's kind of thing, you know, except it's kind of also implied that she's kind of faking it most of the time to keep the rest of the crew off balance, but they don't explicitly say that. And at one point, Crichton says to Dargo, uh, D, I think we need to put Granny in a home. And Dargo says, I think we should burn her. And Crichton looks sh- at him shocked, saying, you burn your old folks? And Crichton, and then Dargo sh- just shows this, nah, it just seems like a good idea. <laughs> so Jeez. so it, just, it just gives you an example of just how like he starts from this really abrasive kind of, you know, just like macho, macho guy to just being all just kind of more snarky and just kind of like eh, whatever all right well just, real quick because right. oric said clone wars is disney plus jane animations is youtube uh where uh, can Far- where Farscape, can people find Far- farscape and big finish well big finish productions that's bigfinish.com that's uh they, they i mean they, you can buy them uh, it's a british website but they also have an exchange rate where you can buy things with american dollars too if you're accessing them like the us the ip address they take that into account when they price their stuff with American dollars. Now they've been doing that a lot lately. And uh, and then uh, Farscape actually is being streamed on Amazon Prime right now. So you can watch like the entirety of that. So on Amazon Prime right now, and it's like all four seasons and the miniseries Peacekeeper Wars that they did to kind of wrap up the series. They also did like a comics continuation that takes place after Peacekeeper Wars that is considered canon by the creator of the show, Rockney S. O'Bannon. I've only gotten the first couple of volumes, but it's pretty good. I mean, I haven't, I haven't read all of them. I want to, but yeah. And, or you can just try to find a DVD box set on the cheap of Farscape. I mean, they recently released a 20 year, 20th anniversary Blu-ray box set uh, that's like, has like the entirety of Farscape on Blu-ray. So I don't know if it's any cheaper than just watching it on Amazon prime, but so it's, it's, it's pretty, you can, if you know where to look, you can find it. So. All right. Auric. Ah, uh, that's pretty much so. We'd like to thank Golden Tails Geek for coming on and talking with us. My pleasure. Maybe I'll come back for another topic sometime. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, do all the things that the various algorithms demand, because without that, we're just talking into the void. Indeed. And whatever platform you're currently listening to us on, thank you, first of all. We are currently on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and Pocket Cast. If there is another platform that you would prefer us to be on that's easier for you, say if you listen to a lot of podcasts on one platform that we don't happen to be on, tell us about that. That way we can look into it. As always, this has been Lord Commander Oric. 
and his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable.